0: Hi, I'm Tessa Court, the CEO of Intelligence Bank. Welcome to Marketing Heroes, a podcast dedicated to our favorite marketers from around the world, hearing their stories, their views on the state of marketing, and their advice for professionals who aspire to transition from good to great. The podcast is presented by our very own Rob Weiss, VP of Marketing at Intelligence Bank. If Evernote's 225 million users were a country, they would be the fifth most populous on the planet, behind only China, India, the US and Indonesia. The person responsible for this growth is Chief Product and Growth Officer Andrew Malcolm. Andrew has one of the most impressive CVs in Silicon Valley, with senior marketing roles at HSBC, Hotels.com and Google, as well as a senior operations role at venture capital firm Silverlake. He holds a BA from Harvard and an MBA from Stanford. Full disclosure, I've been using the productivity app for 10 years to manage my work and personal life across my devices and remain a fanboy. I am delighted to welcome Andrew to the Marketing Heroes podcast. Hey, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. I think
1: you may have managed expectations the wrong direction, though, with that introduction.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Now, you've written that 60 days before you even joined Evernote, Business Insider called them the first dead unicorn, which is bananas. Why did you join and what has been some of your major achievements? Uh,
1: Well, I like to think that I joined because I love to uh, address a bigger challenge that's out there, but it might be because I didn't really do enough diligence either way uh i think evernote presents a unique opportunity for anybody in product and marketing to have to think about things in a slightly different way so the first thing is i think anybody with such a role should have a unique relationship with their product and i certainly have that with mine my first note was taken on my birthday in january 2011 when my present to myself was that i was going to be a better manager and i was a pretty god-awful manager at that point i never followed up on one-to-ones i didn't take meeting notes And I was going to use Evernote and start to be better at those things. And I did. And that relationship was, uh, I'm not going to say superficial, but it was very transactional. And every day I used Evernote, and that was great. But then 10 months later, my dad took ill. And all of a sudden, I needed somewhere to manage all of his medical records. And then uh, as he got more and more sick, we needed to manage all the legal documents. And then we needed to manage his will. And all of a sudden, I wrote his eulogy in Evernote. And this product that was at one point very, very professional and just a tool became an emotional thing for me that now houses the sonograms of my kids and all of these very personal things as well. And I don't think there are that many products and that many brands that can transcend the personal life and the professional life in such a way. And the chance to work on something like Evernote that could do that for this number of people is really unique, I think, in the world. They're just you're not gonna come across this very much. And so uh, that that challenge, I think, was an incredible opportunity. It's also like a super scary moment because when you think about our marketing budget that basically comes down to maybe two cents per user, uh, what are you actually going to do that is going to affect the company and the performance? Because you can't do marketing in the same way that we've always talked about it. If we spent our entire marketing budget in Melbourne or San Francisco, we would not move the numbers in Melbourne or San Francisco. And so that presented a second challenge, which is not only the scale scale at which you have to try to start thinking. And that means that you're not just going to try to figure out how are we going to buy digital media and do those things, but in fact, how are we going to use data? How are we going to be what we call creatively analytic? In a way that we can marry incredible storytelling about those user stories that we have with the data that allows us to tell them in an almost automated personalized way and that combination of things when i left skype i thought i had hit the top of my career i never thought i would get to do anything like that again and then somehow two years later i got the chance to try again here at
0: now i'm really interested that um, marketing product growth and analytics all sit under your control So how hard is it to juggle these functions?
1: Uh, I like to think that it is just intellectually interesting to go from uh, a meeting about regression analysis to a meeting about copywriting and trying to do those two things in, in a row. But the reality is the only way to do this effectively is to find a great leader of each of those functions and let them worry about how to make those functions awesome and you worry about how you make sure those functions are aligned and connected. And so I only have four direct reports effectively, and it's their jobs to make sure that we're fantastic at those things, and my job to make sure that they know what each other are doing and that they're working together.
0: Now you mentioned that um, that there's about two cents per user, but with all of those millions of, um, hundreds of millions of of registered users around um, almost every country on earth, um, how hard is it to manage the brand across so many markets? i mean it's impossible quite honestly like i think we've
1: said for a long long time that the sooner you embrace the idea that you don't own your brand your users own your brand the better you will be at doing branding and that is uh i think especially true for products like evernote where what we do is cool right like the ability to capture anything sync it across any device and access it from anywhere in the world forever awesome but what people do with us is the inspirational part and it's those things that make our brand special. Because it's not the bits and bytes, it's the stories about what people do that might actually change the world a little bit because of the way they're a little more organized, a little bit more accomplished with what they can get done with Evernote. And that's what our brand, I think, has come to mean to people. And that isn't something that we manage, it's something we try to cultivate by letting people tell their stories. But those are other people's stories, not ours. And we're, I'd say, a nerdy group of people who are awfully. Um, excited about how humble we get to be about it because we don't actually have to go tell people how cool we are, they get to tell people how cool what they can do with us. On the,
0: on the brand issue, I mean, I'm keen to learn more about uh, your brand refresh late last year. So, how did you approach it and, and, and how was success measured?
1: So, I, I in no way will ever claim that I am an expert in brand. And uh, in fact, I get—I'm so honored to be surrounded by people who know so much more about this than I do. Because the first time that you step up and look at a brand, you're like, "Whatever, I can do this, right? It's about some values and some colors, and we're good to go, right?" But the reality is, the brand isn't owned by marketing anymore, right? In a lot of Silicon Valley startups now, brand is a direct CEO responsibility because. of the interaction that a user is going to have with our brand is going to come in the product. And what you really want to do with the brand is instill in the company what it is that they should be bringing to life. Because if there is any asynchronous nature between um, the values of your company and your brand pillars, then you haven't really done your job correctly. And so what we thought we needed to do was not only demonstrate that there is a next generation of Evernote that's out there after 10 years, but also demonstrate that what we started out to do is still something very powerful around remembering everything, but that alone is not what we aspire to be. That's not the only end game. Ultimately, the vision that the company began with was to be an extension of the brain, and brains do so much more than remembering things. And it was time for us to show that the elephant is certainly the remembering part, but it's turning those ideas into action that is the next generation of Evernote, and how we do that needs to be communicated crisply and clearly. And that's the strategic reason for doing that. It drew a line in the sand after somebody had told us that we were the first dead unicorn and said, in fact, we're not. We just cracked 9 billion notes. We're approaching a quarter of a billion users. Like, if you think that the cash flow positive company that sits in Silicon Valley is that type of, uh, if that's a dead unicorn, then I'm okay being surrounded by death. (laughs) Uh, And then there's the, the super tactical reason about this too, which is, Ultimately, when you get to this scale and you still only have 300 employees, you have to be able to do things so systematically and, and with such automation that you have to be able to produce stuff very quickly. And you have to design, have a design system that allows you to do those things. And so there is a very tactical operational reason to build a design system that allows you to create an insane amount of content very, very quickly, which is the other portion of why I think it's worthwhile to go through those things.
0: Now, I recently interviewed uh, Chris Bruzzo, the CMO at uh, Electronic Arts, and uh, and he called you guys the, the one tool that he couldn't live without. So how does that feedback and feedback from other industry heavyweights make you feel? I'm um, keen for that emotional element. Obviously, you're an incredibly smart person, but um, you know, what, what does that feedback do to your motivation and to your creativity?
1: Well, I mean, it's both flattering and uh, and humbling at the same moment. To think that you are responsible for being the home for the ideas of some of the most influential some of the most educated some of the most affluent people on the planet is a a scary thing to wake up to in the morning right like if you had told me that i would have that level of responsibility i probably wouldn't have believed you or maybe even wanted it uh, 10 years ago and so i think chris's story is representative of what we uh, hear so much you become mind. a part of people's everyday lives like that that is a um a position that is unique and not something to be dealt with lightly or taken lightly that the things that people are giving us are precious to them and we have to protect those and that is our role in the world and our role for them and it instills in you uh, the sense of responsibility to go do that correctly to uphold many of the things that you've made promises to them in the past and you take that seriously and you work hard to make sure you do it well.
0: Okay, so that's enough on the big picture. I wanna learn about the micro, the tools and tactics that you utilize with your teams, those direct reports you mentioned and how you manage your time. So let's start with the hardware. What phone do you use and are you PC or Mac? I'm looking at a black device here, so i do uh, not looking very Apple from where I'm looking at
1: it. No, it's not terribly fruity over here. Uh, the, so I might be the last marketer in the world running a Windows machine, but when you grew up in the land of finance, uh, you don't know how to do anything without shortcut keys and Excel. So I run a Windows PC and then I have both a, an Android and an, uh, an Apple phone so that I can run our app on all the different platforms. And then I also run an Android and, and uh, an iPad so that I can see it everywhere at all times.
0: Uh, now, which work software, obviously apart from Evernote, couldn't you live without?
1: So for me, the biggest ones are the plugins to my Gmail account around Calendly, because uh, although we have a wonderful admin person, she's trying to support all 300 of us, so I don't ever want to use her time, so I do all of that stuff myself. So Calendly lets people schedule onto my calendar from anywhere in the world. And then the, uh, the other one that I use the most is Boomerang, because I have a very odd working style due to the fact that we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old who are awake at very horrible times of the day. So I don't want to send people emails at 3.30 in the morning when I'm writing them. So I uh, use a lot of delayed delivery so that people don't think I'm crazier than I am.
0: Okay. So, and are you a Sunday preparer or do you wake early on a Monday to plan out your day and your week? And your My
1: day starts at 3 a.m. Uh, every day basically. Uh, I go to usually end up going to bed with the kids at about eight, and then we'll wake up at three and work from three until 630 when they wake up, get them to school, and then go to work. So uh, that is not what most people, I think, elect to do. But the hour, those three and a half hours are incredibly quiet, because nobody else is up except for maybe Europe. And they are... um, they're very, very productive because I find out that I am. If you want to get some, if I need to get something done, it has to be the first thing I do when I wake up in the
0: morning. And how long did it take you to um, acclimate to the eight pm bedtime?
1: Uh, not that long after the second kid was born because she did not oh. sleep at all. So it, it wasn't that it was eight pm; it was that it was, I was horizontal that caused me to be asleep.
0: <laughs> um, so, which tools do you use for collaboration and project management?
1: So. What we find is that like a lot of small businesses, having specialized tools for a bunch of different things doesn't actually behoove you because you encounter the same problem that so many of us encounter, which is you can't remember where you put something. And so you spend two and a half hours a day trying to search through, is it in chat? Is it in uh, Evernote? Is it in the storage container? Is it in email? Is it in whatever other messaging platform I'm using? And so essentially I turn Evernote into uh, all of those things. So whether it is a collaboration, uh, collaborative product, we do use the, our, our integration with Google Drive, or it's project management. Most of the project management I do is super lightweight, so I can do that with our templates um, and things to make it work that way. But that solves for me the problem of where is it, so that all I, the only place I ever have to look is Evernote.
0: Now you mentioned your direct reports earlier. Um, what's your management style? I'm keen to know how you, you manage those folks.
1: Um, I think they would tell you it, it's intense sarcasm, but that turns out to not be a very good management style. Um, I think the thing that I have learned the most is you can either manage super hard during the hiring process or you can try to manage super hard afterward. And I am not ever going to be able to be detailed enough, I think, with this number of responsibilities to manage hard afterward. So I try to manage really hard before we hire. So it may take us six months to hire a VP of whatever, but once we get that person, they're almost always the right person. And from there on, my management style is to let them be them and see how far they can go.
0: And how do you keep abreast of the latest trends and tactics?
1: Uh, Oh, honestly, I listen to a lot of things like these podcasts um, while I'm walking the dog in the morning or while I'm driving in, um, those are the times that I can consume media that isn't a cartoon uh, about Daniel Tiger. So that's pretty much my mechanism for finding those things. But I find that these conversations often cut through what could be hours of reading to find a few experts who can say, hey, these are the two to three things that you really, really need to read. And one of the best apps I've found is Blinkist that will summarize giant books for you into 10 pages so you can read a book basically in the time it takes for you know let's say a use of the restroom or something to that effect
0: and finally what advice would you give a younger Andrew Malcolm
1: I think the biggest thing I would have said to I would say to my younger self would be relax it's going to be fine um I was one of the I'd say early generation that incurred an incredible amount of student debt uh and I freaked out about that And so I don't know how many sort of early college grads are listening to these things. But I thought that my answer to that was to try to go figure out how to make as much money as you possibly could when you were 22 or 23. And it doesn't really matter. You're not going to ever make that much money when you're 22 or 23. So you might as well take that time and do something that you really like because you'll end up doing it so well that you'll find the career that you want instead of a job that gets you started. And so I think if I had anything to say to myself or other people at that stage, is uh, choose, based on the, you choose your criteria for your first jobs very wisely because they are going to dictate more than you might realize for the next 20 years.
0: Well, Andrew, we to just want to say a big thanks for, uh, for joining the Marketing Heroes podcast. And uh, from all the team at uh, Intelligence Bank, we want to thank you and, and wish you, uh, and, of course, Evernote, all the, all the very best moving forward.
1: Thank you. We're so excited to be part of this. Appreciate all the use and all the support.
0: And as always, for more information on our great marketing operations platform, please visit intelligencebank.com.